Hey guys, welcome back to the show. Today we're going to be talking about basically political opportunism. You see, there's this saying in politics, never waste a crisis. Basically, during tragedies, people get panicked. They're upset and they want to feel like the problem, the crisis in question, whatever it is, is being solved. They want action. And what that means is that they're probably going to be willing to accept changes, to accept policies that they might not otherwise, as long as they feel like the crisis is going to get fixed. Great examples of this might be passing gun control legislation after mass shootings or increased surveillance measures after terrorist attacks. And you might be thinking, whoa, hang on a second there, that kind of sounds Machiavellian and... It's true. It is, but that doesn't mean it's not effective because it's actually, it's, it's very effective. So it shouldn't be a surprise that seeing as how we are in the middle of a crisis, a certain Asian-inspired respiratory crisis right now, that there are people trying to use this panic to further their agendas. And you know what? For some topics, it kind of does make sense to have those conversations right now. Things like public health policies in general, pharmaceutical regulations, social safety nets, border control. I completely understand why some people believe that right now, as all of this is happening, is the time to address those issues. I, I see that connection. However, some of the other policies people keep trying to push in light of the state of emergency a lot of countries now find themselves in just don't really make sense to me, and I am talking about climate change and social justice, so that's what we're going to be covering today, but first, I have a quick message from our lovely sponsor, Parler. As if there was enough reason to dump Twitter and switch to Parler, here's another. Right now, Twitter is removing content they deem a denial of global or local health authority recommendations, things like descriptions of ineffective treatment or prevention methods, even if made in jest, they say, denial of established scientific facts from global and local health authorities. Statements such as ignore news about the virus, it's just an attempt to destroy capitalism by crashing the stock market, and more. And while, yeah, some of those rules might seem reasonable, the thing is shutting down opinions you don't like not only goes against the concept of free speech, but it might also prevent legitimate questions from being asked. Parler is the news and free speech app that won't silence your opinion or violate your privacy. Simply download the app, create your account, post, share, and speak freely. Go to parlor.com or visit the app store today and make sure to invite your liberal friends too. I'm on Parlor and you can follow me at the Lauren Chen. That's P-A-R-L-E-R.com or find us in the app store. Again, that's parlor.com, parlor.com. So we're going to be talking about climate change a bit in this episode. And of course, you cannot talk about climate change without mentioning our nagger and savior, Greta Thunberg. At a time when tens of thousands of people have died with a lot more, sadly, likely to join them before this whole thing is over, while states and citizens are increasingly at odds with each other over the question of emergency powers and potential government overreach in the restriction of freedoms, of course, of course, Greta Thunberg is worried that with all the talk of this... This illness that shall remain nameless, too many of us have turned our attention away from the real problem here climate change. If one virus can wipe out the entire economy in like in a matter of weeks and shut down societies, then that is a proof that our societies are not very resilient. I don't think it's really fair to say that a virus is shutting down societies, seeing as how it's 
it's government mandated closures that are shutting down societies and I'm not really sure how environmentalism or getting rid of capitalism like these people want would fix that to begin with but go off I guess. It is definitely possible that climate action will be postponed. I mean of course it of course it will. People don't want to hear about the climate crisis right now, but we also have to make sure that we treat both of these crises at the same time. Because the climate crisis will not go away. If others are not behaving as if we were in an emergency, then, then people are not going to change their mindsets or their attitude to this crisis. So we need to sort of change the, the attitude to this crisis and... And I know I keep coming back to it all the time, but we need to treat the crisis as a crisis because otherwise we won't be able to solve it. So here's the thing. Greta's response is not the most obnoxious environmentalist response to this that we've seen. We're going to get into much more annoying people, but I wanted to mention this because I think it perfectly encapsulates why we're seeing so many radicals and ideologues trying to co-opt the situation right now. This sickness is going to be a defining moment for the decade and countries are being radically changed by it perhaps permanently which incidentally is exactly the type of action Greta Thunberg wishes we would commit to climate change and as we'll get to later this is also the type of action people like AOC wish we would commit to realizing the socialist utopia in these people's minds their pet issues are just as important as confronting you know what so if we can shut down the economy because people are getting sick and dying why can't we shut down the economy for the planet and it's funny because I get accused of not caring about the environment all the time. In these people's minds, and this is pretty much what defines a radical, they think you either don't care at all about things and therefore you want everyone to die, or you're willing to essentially become a flat-out authoritarian in the hopes of realizing their vision. Those, those are the only two options they present you. Extremists are, are not that great at nuance, as it turns out. And actually, in one post that, to me at least, really confirmed that environmentalism is a religion for these people, our good friend, actress and activist Jamila Jamil, wrote, I can't help but wonder if this virus is the clapback from Mother Nature we were waiting for. She wants us to stop moving and consuming and burning, or she's gonna F us all up. Wishing endurance, strength, and patience to those affected by, you know what, it's all really scary. I find it really interesting how the progressive rejection of Christianity has pretty much come full circle and led them right back to paganism and like anthropomorphizing the planet. Moral of the story though, you should care about climate change or else Mother Nature is gonna cook up a deadly lung virus to get ya. But anyway, another particularly concerning piece that I saw which tries to disguise radical change as just the same as voluntary humanitarianism that we see people taking part in in response to the virus came from Green Party MP Caroline Lucas. In the op-ed, Can We Please Apply the You-Know-What Spirit to Austerity and Climate Change, Lucas writes that the outpouring of support for people has been truly heartwarming, as has the sense of solidarity between different groups and different generations. Young people are changing their way of life to try to protect those most at risk. There is a real sense that we are all in this together and we are only safe if everyone is safe. It shouldn't have taken a global pandemic to show us this, and our challenge is to keep these bonds alive when this crisis is over. Now, if Lucas was just saying that we need to extend this same sense of voluntary charity beyond the crisis itself, 
I wouldn't have an issue with that. That would be totally fine. I would even agree with her. But wait, there's more. She continues that this doesn't just mean encouraging an army of volunteers to help our cherished public services. Because of course it doesn't. It means building an economy and society that works for everyone now and in the future, and a society with the values of compassion, consideration, and cooperation at its core. That is what lies behind the Future Generations Bill, which I introduced into the House of Commons this week. It used to be said that war was the locomotive of history, with its power to accelerate change. The current crisis has that same power. It has brought into the mainstream ideas which were once considered radical or extreme, like a universal basic income which now has the backing of even some conservative MPs. We face other crises, in particular the climate emergency. The response to you-know-what has shown what can be done when governments put their minds to it. Oh, look at that! She just so happens to also have some legislation she's pushing, which was incidentally, even though it's not said in this piece, actually drafted in the fall of last year before any of this Rona panic happened. But I mean, obviously, it should be passed now in, in the spirit of the Rona because reasons. And we have a lot more to get to, but first, I want to tell you guys about Billy. If you're anything like me, you probably use razors for way longer than you should because you keep forgetting to buy a new one. You'll be in the shower and you'll be looking at that rusty dull blade and think, gee, I should probably change this out, but by the time you're at the store, all you can think about are snacks and instead of a new razor, you just come home with Cheetos. Enter Billy, though, a razor subscription service that delivers premium razors direct to you for half the price of what you would find in the store. Go to MyBilly.com to get their starter kit, including two razor cartridges, a handle, and their magic magnetic holder for the shower. For only $9, you can get four refill blades every one, two, or three months based on how often you shave. Get free shipping always and skip, adjust, or cancel your subscription at any time. And to express a little love for our show, go to MyBilly.com slash Lauren for 10% off your razor. It's a small way you can support us while making sure you're getting the best razor you will ever own for half the price of what's in stores. This is a limited time special offer, so go now to save 10% off your razor at mybilly.com slash Lauren. That's spelled M-Y-B-I-L-L-I-E dot com slash Lauren. We saw similar opportunism from Vijay Kolinjavati in Al Jazeera, who proclaimed that the current outbreak is part of the climate change crisis. Therefore, climate action should be central to our response to the pandemic. The sweeping and unprecedented measures taken by the government and international institutions could not but make some of us wonder about another global emergency that needs urgent action climate change. The two emergencies are, in fact, quite similar. Both have their roots in the world's current economic model, that of the pursuit of infinite growth at the expense of the environment on which our survival depends, and both are deadly and disruptive. In fact, one may argue that the pandemic is part of climate change and therefore our response to it should not be limited to containing the spread of the virus. What we thought was normal before the pandemic was already a crisis and so returning to it cannot be an option. Look, if getting past this sickness means that people stop eating bats and dogs and pangolins and that we clean up wet markets, good. I'm totally on board with that, and I say that as a Chinese person. But if you're gonna use the virus to say, see, this, which is essentially just climate change in action, proves why capitalism is bad, 
you've kind of lost me. And the way that environmentalists are trying to co-op this pandemic is especially ironic since it seems like it's actually proving that the environmental tipping point may not be as close or as irreversible as activists have claimed. As CNN reports, factories were shuttered and streets were cleared across China's Hubei province as authorities ordered residents to stay home to stop the spread of you-know-what. It seems the lockdown had an unintended benefit blue skies. The average number of good quality air days increased 21.5% in February compared to the same period last year. And Hubei wasn't alone. Satellite images released by NASA and the European Space Agency show a dramatic reduction in nitrogen dioxide emissions, those released by vehicles, power plants, and industrial facilities in major Chinese cities between January and February. The visible cloud of toxic gas hanging over industrial powerhouses almost disappeared. A similar pattern has emerged with CO2 released by burning fossil fuels such as coal. From February 3rd to March 1st, CO2 emissions were down by at least 25%. In neighboring Hong Kong, air quality has also improved since the city entered partial shutdown. Monitoring of stations in the busiest areas of Hong Kong, including Central, Causeway Bay, and Mongok, revealed that the fine particle pollutant PM2.5 decreased by 32%, while the larger particle pollutant PM10 fell by up to 29%. Nitrogen dioxide was reduced by up to 22%. Regardless of how you feel about the greater question of climate change, as someone who wants clean air and clean water, to me, this news is encouraging because it goes to show that we can improve things, that we're not past the point of no return. If we're able to turn to energy sources like nuclear and through innovation, reduce our emissions and our waste, much of the existing pollution we have, especially in the air, will dissipate naturally. Of course, I still don't think we should necessarily be rejoicing about this, you know, because these revelations have come at a huge cost to human life. But I mean, this does tell us a lot about our ecosystem. And you would think that environmentalists would use this as a reason to say, hey, maybe we can tone down the doomsday rhetoric just a little bit, but no. Lest we forget that climate change is super serious, just as serious as this potentially fatal illness, the UN has felt the need to come out and remind us that, uh-uh, climate change is still urgent because we're just gonna go back to polluting after maybe even more so to make up for the months of inactivity, so we should, we should still implement socialism to fix this. I feel like these activists are kind of like insecure teenage girls. Like they just really don't like sharing the spotlight. And if someone else is ever getting the attention because something really great or really bad is happening to them, they still need to find a way to make it all about themselves. You know what I mean? And obviously not to be out-activisted, the social justice advocates have also been keen to explain to people why really the Rona is a social justice issue that can once again only be solved by socialism. So weird, right? What a, what a huge coincidence. Now, last week, we did a whole segment about how some feminists, despite the fact that men are the large majority of deaths, are trying to turn the Rona into an example of females being oppressed or, or something. It just, it was not smart. But more generally among the left, the US recently saw how Democrats insisted on trying to shoehorn seemingly unrelated leftist policies, things like emission standards and diversity requirements for companies into you-know-what relief bills. And I do think that for some Democrats, people like Nancy Pelosi, this was just political maneuvering. They saw an opportunity where people would be desperate to pass a certain piece of legislation and they just went for it. Never let a crisis go to waste, right? But for some people, people like AOC 
I really do think that they they believe in their core that the virus is about social justice because to them, everything is about social justice. On her social media, she wrote, current illness deaths are disproportionately spiking in black and brown communities. Why? Because the chronic toll of redlining, environmental racism, wealth gap, etc. are underlying health conditions. Inequality is a comorbidity. You know what relief should be drafted with a lens of reparations. It would be one thing if she were just trying to make this a class issue, because at least in that case, it is true that people who are less wealthy are being hit harder right now, whether it's due to job security, general financial security, or living in areas that have higher population densities, you are more likely to be affected by this whole thing if you are working class rather than a white collar employee. So that would be one thing, but she makes this a racial issue instead. And that's something which, by the way, drives me crazy when progressives conflate race with class. Incidentally, progressives, much like the alt-right, seem to largely believe that poor people is synonymous with black and brown people, which is just so not true for many reasons. But to go even further than that, she also doesn't just make this about helping people out in light of this current economic downturn, which has been caused or at least exacerbated by government-mandated closures. She actually mentions reparations, i.e. doing things through a lens of reparations. And that kind of implies that relief for the Rona shouldn't just be about making up for the damage done by the pandemic, but actually making up for a history of racism against Black and Brown people. Again, I am pretty sure that AOC actually believes what she's saying here because she is an ideologue and ideologues really do think everything is about their core issue, but just because she actually believes it, that doesn't make this any less opportunistic. She's taking a very popular issue, emergency virus relief, and trying to piggyback reparations onto it, which among the general population, no, are not very popular. She just wants political points to pass something that she personally supports. If this video goes to show anything, it's that AOC definitely isn't alone in trying to do stuff like this, but that doesn't make it any less scummy. Yes, emergencies, crises, they do often require a swift response, but as we're all having this conversation about what to do in light of this unprecedented situation, I guess my message would be just be critical of what other issues people are trying to tack onto this. That's pretty much all I have to say though, and as always, I would love to hear what you all think. Is the virus really a climate change social justice issue, or are people just making stuff up to get what they want. Let me know, but that's it for now. Thank you guys so much for tuning in, and I'll see you next time.